0: Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
1: This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net.
0: To another episode of Two Girls One Ship, the podcast where we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. I'm Genesis, the girl who wants to apologize for my lack of speech in this episode. I may or may not have had a hangover.
2: And I'm Barbada, the girl who definitely word-vomited enough to cover for Jen's hangover silence, so. Sorry if you get tired of my voice. <laughs> It was bad. And again, why are you listening?
0: I remember who I went out with that night. It's all your fault, guys. You know who you are. But today's episode is a special interview episode with narrative designer and games writer, Carrie McGuire. Carrie graduated from the University of Connecticut with a degree in digital media, design, game design, and development. She's worked on a number of really interesting games, such as the Stardust Mystery and Gatekeepers VR.
2: Carrie has a background in theater and a passion for sex education, so she has grand ambitions to eventually create stories that will positively impact those who play them. She recently had a game jam called Go With the Flow. She'll talk about it in the episode, but it's such a great idea.
0: We have a lot of fun talking about our favorite subject with Carrie. So... Let's get into today's episode.
1: Excellent. Then we have everything we need to open the pod. My name is Carrie. My pronouns are she, her. I am a narrative designer and writer. I um, have a degree in game design from the University of Connecticut. I didn't start there. Uh, I initially went to school somewhere else for um, theater education and acting. So I have a performing arts background. Then, then I switched to psychology um, because I wanted to be a women's counselor. And then I took a year off because making teenagers decide what they want to do with their lives is very overwhelming. And also for mental health reasons and saving money and stuff like that. And then I eventually applied to University of Connecticut uh, when I realized that games had been with me my whole life. And I was like, Why don't I just try to get into games? And then I realized that like narrative designers were a thing, and I really just kind of clasped onto that. And that's been uh, my direction. I'm also currently getting my sex education uh, certification. I'm very interested in the topic of, I saw you doing a little dance, (laughs) of uh, human sexuality and. The potential that that has uh, with games and stuff like that, and telling stories about sex and intimacy and sexuality, not necessarily making like like sex like games and stuff like that. Nothing wrong with that, but that's just not my direction. I feel like when I tell people what I'm interested in, they assume that's what I mean, but I mean more like narrative focused games about sex and relationships.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, we understand what you mean because like that's like our whole thing.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna
2: ask, what do you have? a game or a character or relationship that was really like, I want to tell stories like this. You know, was there any like one game or one character that did that for you
1: from a romance perspective or just like in general?
2: I mean, it could be in general, but also romance.
1: I think so from a general perspective, my favorite game ever. I can't believe I'm going to put this into the universe that this is my favorite game ever is the elder scrolls for oblivion. I found that game when I was younger because my sister had it, and the quests in that game there's there's so many creative quests and like I I meet people who like aren't even super huge fans of that game but they remember certain quests because they're like oh yeah there's the quest where you like go into the painting and like find the artist and like all this cool stuff but also games like that and their um, opportunity for like emergent storytelling like I was that kid that would play games like that. And like walk on all the roads because I was like my character would like walk to this (laughs) town and like I would pretend I was like a merchant like I would. I did that too.
2: (laughs) I completely (laughs) agree.
1: When I play games like that, um, that game really sucked me in, and there are so many cool characters and stories in that in that world that they built. So that was a big inspiration for me in terms of like wanting to tell game stories.
2: Any romance that sticks out for you?
1: I thought about this for so long. Um, (laughs) There are so many good ones, obviously. My answer is I really was impressed with um, the romance between Rachel and Chloe in Life is Strange Before the Storm. And mostly because there's a lot that's not good about their relationship there's a lot of um, there's like some manipulation depending on how you view like Rachel's reactions and actions. Um, But I feel like one thing that they captured really well with that relationship was the, that feeling of like the magic of being a teenager that has a crush on somebody, because a lot of the events of that game move very quickly and it feels like their relationship is going very fast. And then suddenly one of them is like angry and like yelling at the other one. And it's this whole very melodramatic, but very, beautiful relationship and the way it plays out. And I remember just getting so invested and just getting so excited when, spoiler alert, there is an option to kiss Rachel later in the game. And I remember I was in college in my dorm and I was sitting at a table playing and I literally like squealed. And then when it happened to the cutscene played out, like the way they kissed was just so like tender and nice. And I started crying and it was very embarrassing. Um, so I feel like the, the scope of that relationship and all the different aspects of it was like very, very well done, especially given the fact that they're teenagers and that's a confusing, confusing time.
2: They captured it really well. I haven't played that game in a long time, but I remember being drawn to that game because I was like, you're just a teenager going to school and (laughs) like, who makes a game about that? But I was really fascinated because I I love, I just was like, what's the story? And I, I barely remember that game because it's been so long and, I think they've made a few since then, and I really need to pick that series up again because I remember being really impacted by that game too. I was just like, I can't believe this is so good for what the story is. Like, for a game, I mean, like, this would be a fine TV Mm -hmm. show, but I didn't, they they did it so well. I'm really, really into this game. Like, most people want to play games because, like, I want to kill a dragon or I want to ride a T-Rex or something, you know? And no, it's just, it's a very small world with a really awesome story good job tech nine games
1: (laughs) yeah and like and that was one thing that i love about it too is that like you said it's like oh you're a teenager in especially in before the storm where there's like not the time rewinding aspect of it like the magical realism of it it's just like chloe is like a teenager um and she's having like a rough time at home and she likes to talk back to people and it's honestly kind of just like let's show you like what this like magical span of like a week was like for her when she met this girl who kind of shook her whole life up and as a teenager who was like a total rule follower i love playing like a sassy um (laughs) back-talking angsty teen so like for me that really scratched an itch Mm -hmm. um and i like you said i thought they, they did just like a really nice job
2: Yeah, I was definitely like the Hermione Granger of my time. (laughs) So anytime I could create a character or play as a character that was a rebel of some kind, I was like, yep, gonna do that. Just so that's, that's part of the reason why I think romance in games is so important because you're role playing, like you get to safely explore these things without any real world consequences. So I see
1: speaking my language.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I figured that is that one of the things that draws you to writing stories regarding relationships and sexuality in games? Is that one aspect that you want to pursue or, or that you have pursued even?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I haven't actually at this point, like put anything um, out of my work that is that but I'm currently working on like a, a twine narrative game. And that, that absolutely is a huge aspect of why I kind of want to go in this direction because I feel like games are such an amazing, they go, they go beyond entertainment. It's you're interacting in all these situations that you might never find yourself in. And it's kind of like, I'm a huge like horror movie, like disturbing messed up movie person. And it is kind of that like morbid curiosity of like, oh, I'm in like a safe environment I'm like in my cozy bed, I'm gonna watch this like really messed up thing because like I wanna experience like a range of emotions and like I wanna like feel something. And I feel like games are similar where you're in a safe environment, you can make choices you wouldn't necessarily make in the real world and see those consequences play out. And I feel like that's such a useful thing to explore in terms of relationships and uh, sexuality, especially when there's so much bad (laughs) sex education and information out there. And like, I don't know, depending on where you live, if you're questioning your sexuality, you might not be able to have conversations about that with people. But if you're playing like, for example, like Fallout 4, um, and you're like, maybe I'll romance Kate and see what happens and see how that makes me feel. I just think games are so cool, obviously.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I was going to ask because you, of your unique background with psychology as well. Um, I was thinking about that. We just did an episode on Thane the other night. It's going to come out tomorrow. Oh, nice. Um, from Mass Effect 2. And something we kept touching on is like, even though his romance is tragic because he dies, but like everyone still loves him. And that whole part about catharsis, and it's like you get to feel sad maybe about something real in your life. But you can cry over Thane if you can't cry about your thing in real life. And so I was wondering, too, is like that has to have some sort of psychological impact on us, positive or negative, depending on how games are crafted to be able to have that catharsis and kind of influence how we might think about something in our real life versus what we experience in a game. Do you have you <laughs> I don't even know what my question is, but like, oh, no. <laughs> have you thought about that at like in terms of is there a way you can kind of marry those concepts of like narrative design and psychology?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually giving a talk soon. That's kind of what you're describing having like giving people the opportunity to kind of expel that like emotional buildup that maybe they're experiencing in their life. Like for example, with a character death, um, you grow so attached to characters if a game is is well written or if you relate to something with the character. And I think it's so healthy to let yourself, like you said, like almost kind of like grieve through a fictional character. Because behind all that, your brain knows what you're actually grieving about, if something has affected you, or what feelings are being brought up for you and why. So I think it's a very healthy. I don't want to call it a coping mechanism, but I think it's a very healthy outcome of games exploring more emotional topics and serious topics. And it helps people be more empathetic because I feel like there's also surrounding that people seeing how people are reacting. So even if a character death didn't affect somebody really much at all, if they hear somebody talk about how much it affected them and why, that's also a net good.
2: Yeah, I can kind of like model appropriate behavior in a way or like maybe not appropriate, but healthy grieving or healthy responses to things. I mean, I, I'm a woman obviously. So I come from a woman's perspective, but I know a lot of men in this society have a very hard time tapping into emotions that are not anger or just neutral, I guess. And I suppose that could help them see what it's like, or maybe feel what it's like to grieve. And I, as on the woman side of things, I feel like with games lately, we've had a lot of positive representation, both of strong but not hypersexualized female characters, and also healthy relationships. Like my mind, I, I'm, I just finished Uncharted, so my mind is really. I don't know. Have oh, you ever nice. played Uncharted? Yeah.
1: I actually have never played Uncharted. Oh. I've watched it. I've never picked it up myself though.
2: Well, shout it from rooftops, <laughs> especially if you are <laughs> a narrative person. It's like. Um, we were just, I was just talking about this with someone about how it's one of the only games I can think of that has a true ending to, it's like a full, complete story. Every, every other like narrative game that I enjoy, Mass Effect, it's continuing, Dragon Age, it's continuing, Horizon's continuing, you know, like, yeah. or it's based on something else, like Marvel games are based on comics, movies, et cetera. So you kind of already know how it's going to go potentially or where it could end, but like Uncharted... Was just a game. And then, and same with The Last of Us, but it's not over yet either. Naughty Dog, shout out to them again. (laughs) But for Uncharted, like their relationship, Elena and Nate, when we first started this podcast, when I was researching, like, who are the most popular romances in video games and their relationship kept popping up. And at that time, I hadn't played the game. I played the game and I was like, that's like such a good, solid example of, I mean, they are a cishet relationship, but she is just as capable as he is and they have a lot of fights <laughs> and they mm-hmm. really demonstrate good ways of talking about your feelings and coming back together and overcoming things. And it is a long-term relationship. Cause that's something Jen's always saying that she would like to see more because usually yeah. in games, it's like you meet, you fall in love, you have sex, the end, like that's the end of the relationship. And then
1: like you won. It's, yeah,
2: it's, you it's won. Like that. That, the <laughs> sex scene was your prize, basically, which there's nothing wrong with that, but it is nice to see what happens after that if you have a relationship and like
1: that, that you really is, get to okay. see
2: no it's okay you just get to see their relationship like over the course of 20 years basically it's amazing
1: that so. is cool to have a like a more long term view of a relationship in a video yeah. game. and the fact that they gave it the dimensions of like they still fight and like she's also very capable and they kind of match each other in that way
2: but, yeah but where i was going at with bringing them up was just thinking like how I, you mentioned that you were talking about or researching or something with women counseling. What, what was that that you said in the uh, beginning? Sorry.
1: No, 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 you're fine. When I was, um, when I switched my major to psychology, mm-hmm. I was also minoring in women's studies and my plan was to be some sort of, uh, counselor.
2: Yeah. So I imagine that study, cause I took one women's studies class when I was in college and it was, it opened my eyes to so many things. And I think that's why I'm the raging feminist I am now. Because um, <laughs> I honestly, like, I mean, I thought I was before, but then I learned all these things and coupling that with games, I think is such a unique perspective. Like, do you have any, oh my gosh, ambitions? Sorry, I need to finish this coffee. Ambitions oh, to <laughs> write a story like that? Like, where Where would you want to take romance in games in the future?
1: Yeah, I guess my goal with the work I wanna do in terms of romance in games and things like that. um, I really want, how do I say this? I apologize. (laughs) I've never tried to articulate this out loud before actually. Um, I'm kind of trying to make the romantic and like sexual aspects of a story uh, simultaneously like what the story is about, but also not, it's not the only thing there. I feel like a lot of times if something has a sexual aspect to it um, or a romantic aspect, sometimes the other things that make a story really good or flesh out characters can get lost because it's like you have these two characters and they're either like being intimate together or they are falling in love and it doesn't really go beyond that. So I'm trying to make narrative experiences that are fleshed out in other ways while also having like sex be like a big I don't know what the word is, Feel <laughs> like a big um, like main piece of it, but also having those other like kind of quieter moments to it.
0: The quiet moments in between those, those are what I feel are missing in a lot of relationships that we see in video games. It's one of my big things that I really want to see because it's like I have, you know, almost 19 years of experience in this one. Me and my husband have been together forever now. And I know looking back, yeah, there were those big moments where, yay, achievement unlocked. But I also know that it's been 19 years of just, you know, the good morning mm-hmm. kiss. And, you know, so I, I would love to see, I want to see my yeah. relationship in a video <laughs> game <too>. romance.
1: <laughs> I. It's interesting that you brought up that point of like, after a while, it's like the wake up, like good morning kiss. I actually felt that that was one thing. Uh, that was interesting in stardew valley is that after you marry your spouse they move all they move some of their stuff into your house and then every day it's like they you kind of fall into a routine as a player with them it's like you talk to them every morning and you can give them like a good morning kiss and the dialogue kind of repeats day after day and i sat and i thought and i was like that's kind of i think it's kind of brilliant actually because it's almost like the giving them items and like having those cutscenes with them was like the quote unquote honeymoon phase. And now you've settled into like this nice life together where you know each other and you have a routine. And I thought that was interesting that you get into that routine as a player, but it also could be indicative of a routine we fall into with relationships after a while.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Harvest Moon's the same way, but I think I don't, I haven't played Stardew Valley despite all my friends telling me I should. But I, with Harvest Moon, it's the same thing. You, once they move onto your house, they can say good morning and give them a kiss. You have a kid or two. And then that's, you just keep managing your farm. And I thought that was cute. That when you were talking about the quiet moments, it made me think about something that happened in Uncharted 4. No spoilers, everyone. Game Count 2016, <laughs> so play it. But, um... There's this moment where in the very beginning of the game, you kind of, you get a glimpse of Nate and Elena's everyday life. They're in their house, they cooked dinner, they're eating it together and chatting. They play Crash Bandicoot on the PlayStation, which is super cute. And then way later in the game, when Nate and Elena are getting split up and it's like a life or death situation, when she's saying bye to him, she says, you have to come back because I cook and you do the dishes. And it's like a callback to that scene. And it was so cute. And I was like, this is exactly what I want to see in video game." Like, I don't think I've ever seen something like that in a video game relationship. Because usually, like the other hallmark video game relationships from Mass Effect or Dragon Age, there's nothing like that. Because the whole world's on fire in every game. And you're not doing those quiet moments. And so that's what I really really appreciated about that game so like there's like a glimpse of real life like you can really relate to these characters because you're like that's me and my husband if he cooks I do the dishes and vice versa Mm -hmm. so I was like wow I see myself in these characters and it's not an RPG but but those are also ways that you can reflect back on the character and be like oh oh my gosh that's so cute (laughs) like I I wish we had more of that that's a great (laughs) line I love
1: that I love when Stuff like that gets added into games because it just makes it feel that much more real.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it did. I don't want to. If you haven't played it, I don't want to tell you too much because I went into it blind. I played the epilogue. Was it yesterday morning or Friday morning? I think. And I think
1: I think I wrote yeah. The epilogue. Yeah, I watched I, a video about Uncharted a while ago.
2: Oh my gosh, it was so good, and <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know how it ended really because, like I said, I didn't. I've never spoiled it for myself. I never played it when those games were coming out was when I only had Xbox and they were only for PlayStation. Uh. So that very short period of time, because I'm normally a PlayStation person, but um, yeah, and then I finally got them (laughs) and uh, I was so pleased because I I feel like, especially with the internet now, people are so quick to just find out how it ends or they spoil the story for themselves. And I'm, I'm glad that that didn't happen with me with this series because... It was such a treat to watch it unfold the way that the narrative designers planned it out, the way that everyone who came together to make these games planned it out. And I literally cried because it was so cute. Like, it's also just a nice happily ever after ending, which we hardly ever get in video games. I feel like
1: that's rare. At least in the games I've I've played.
2: Oh, yeah. I I honestly can't think of another one, like with this style of game too, which is just And I don't think Last of Us is going to end like that because it's it's really depressing. Um, And also there's zombies, but there's not zombies in Uncharted, but I don't know. It was just, I wish we had more of that. And I wish we had, that's actually something that they've, because Naughty Dog's done both these series and that's something they've started doing in The Last of Us that I've noticed is Ellie is a lesbian and she has two girlfriends in the games one is a DLC character, um, and I actually never got to play that DLC. And then in the second game, the part two game, there's another one, and they have the same quiet moments. Like one of the best scenes from that game is they're just at like this little dance in their town, and it just they're just bantering back and forth, and it's so mm-hmm. cute. And I was wondering how you thought about that kind of representation in games, where it's like it's not... We, we had a long talk with another narrative designer that episode's coming up. Um, what is it next month, Jen? With Ben. <laughs> but um, so I don't want to spoil it, but where we talked a lot about bisexual characters and how we can't have the character that their sexuality be their defining character personality. Mm-hmm. So, how do you see marrying a character with representation of different sexualities, but also? somehow making them like a real person like how how do you approach doing that crafting like a real person
1: that's a really good question and and something i've been thinking about uh a lot because i do feel like there's an interesting line to walk of oh well if they if it never comes up then like what am i doing to make this like representative of of this type of person um but then if it's like their whole identity then of course that's kind of tokenizing I mean, I guess in terms of, like, a story, if, if you're, like, a romance story, if you're making, um, if you're choosing the sexuality of the character that you're writing, I guess just trying to think, like, organically and very um, genuinely, like, in this situation, like, what would this character do? Like, what, and, like, what, uh, is there a situation where this character's sexuality, like, would come up and how would they talk about it? one thing that I try to do when I write characters of certain identities is again, kind of the quiet moments thing um, of like, what does this character do in their day to day? Like, do they have maybe like a, an LGBT like flag in their room? And like, that's kind of an indicator, like um, like what is their routine? What do they like to talk about? Do they make jokes about their identity? Because that's a thing my friends and I do all the time. Um, So kind of just catching them in their, day to day and trying to present that as um, genuinely as possible, instead of kind of broadcasting it and being like, look, I wrote a character who's this identity, because that can be be kind of sticky territory.
2: Yeah, that's true. I'm always fascinated with how narrative designers like yourself, write characters that feel real, and especially the relationship part, because a lot of while I will play any game that offers me a romance choice, especially if it's yep. <laughs> some kind of like RPG, because that is my, my favorite like niche is the kind of Bioware trope where you're, the game isn't about romance, but it also is, you know? But, <laughs> but it's just an alien yeah. dating sim. <laughs> yeah. Or awesome. an elf dating sim, if you're me and Dragon Age. Um, Both good. Yeah. <laughs> but I always find it's really interesting how you can, Like they do a really good job crafting it so that it doesn't feel like forced or rushed. You get to choose who you're romancing, but each of them feels organically grown. It's not just like, oh, just kind of like no offense to Harvest Moon or Stardew Valley because I think their thing works the same way. Um, And while I do enjoy that aspect of the game, it also is sometimes I wish there was more than just like gift this person with their favorite blue flower every day for three seasons and then you can propose <laughs> with the blue feather um, and how do you go about crafting a relationship that fits the time frame of the game but also feels not rushed or shoehorned
1: yeah time time like the amount of time that something is occurring in a video game is something I think about all the time <laughs> Um, even in games I'm playing I'm like okay so these characters have known each other how long and this is all happening Um, I think the biggest thing for me is to if your characters have not known each other very long but there's going to be a romance happening at that point sometimes I think it's better to just lean into the fact that these characters have not known each other very long I think if you If you write something like that earnestly and you're kind of poking fun at it i think then you kind of get the audience on board of like oh yeah like this is this is fun like these characters have just met and they're already hitting it off and like flirting but i think one thing about writing realistic characters that i'm really passionate about is so my background in the performing arts and like theater and stuff um i've acted and like directed is the way things sound out loud so a lot of the time when I'm writing a script, I will read it out loud or hear it out loud in my head to make sure the words are flowing okay. Because I feel like that can be the difference between dialogue that reads as realistic and dialogue that reads as like, oh, this is dialogue in a video game. And I'm so sorry, I just lost my train of
0: thought. <laughs> no, uh, when you were saying that, I was like, I do that too. Um when we write scripts for our episodes and everything like that, I will go and I will read everything out loud to make sure that not only does it sound like it's actually, you know, my words, the way that I would speak it, but that the words actually make sense and it flows. correctly.
2: Yeah.
0: I think that's something that's unique to games as
2: well is the fact that it's not a book. So you're not reading it in your head. You're hearing someone perform it. But it's also your choice. Usually, with these types of games, you know you have dialogue options, and then they're responding to what you've said to them. And when we interviewed Mary Kenny, she said there was a few times where, like, she wrote a line, and then the actor was performing it in a way she didn't expect, and was like, "Wait, actually, that makes so much sense for this character." And it's like, so (laughs) yeah, I know. Me too. I'm like, I mean, as much as I love. When I first played Dragon Age Origins and romanced Alistair, and I was like, I want to be a narrative designer. I want to write yeah. stories like this, you know? And then, but, and I thought that was all their magic, but it wasn't until very recently where I was like, you know what? I don't know. This seems so, so stupidly obvious. But like, the narrative designer is just like half of the creation of this magic. And then the other half is the actors, like bringing these characters to actual life. Absolutely. And I think that must be a fun thing to create this person and then watch someone else create the person too. And be like, oh, you're right. They would say it like that. Or they would say this word instead of this word. And those matter to how they're coming off or what the relationship feels like.
1: Yeah, it really is like a joint effort in that respect. I've only had one opportunity to like workshop a game script with like the people who would be voicing it, but it was so it kind of like shifted my perspective actually getting to hear them read and like talk to them about what I had written and like how it sounded to them and like if they because the thing is like to me an actor as a character is different than the character that you have written for on the page so like there is a fun process of asking like oh what did that feel weird for you to say after you said this line before like what do you think they would say here do you have any ideas so collaborating with the other person who's going to be bringing that to life is very very cool
2: it sounds really cool it also sounds like it could be weird because you have this preconceived notion of this character you made and then you hear someone completely reinterpret it maybe because it is i'm i'll stand by this forever like video games are art so everyone That's gets true. their own perception of it right and that includes the actor who's just hasn't brought the character to life yet but maybe they're reading a line and they say it in a way and you're like huh, that doesn't feel like the character I thought of. And, you know, that might be weird too. But then also it's like, but maybe it is the character. <laughs> like they, exactly, they find yeah. a new dimension that you hadn't considered, which is once again, diversity. So why we need everyone in games because then you have Absolutely.
1: better characters. And like, that's that's the cool thing about games is working on them. There's, and this is also something kind of scary about working on games, but it's so exciting that everything is constantly like shifting and evolving so like you could write a scene and pour your heart into it and then present it and it's like oh that's not quite right we're gonna go in a completely different direction plot wise can you write something else and of course it's disappointing if what you wrote doesn't get used but it's also kind of freeing in a way because it's like i just wrote this thing that i'm really proud of but now i'm gonna go and write something else completely different and like how exciting is that so working with like the voice actors and stuff too, it's the same way where it's like, wow, somebody else completely like reinterpreted what I wrote. And that's so cool. And of course, like you should have the respect for their interpretation as well, because maybe they have a really cool idea that you didn't have. So the collaboration and like constant shifting of everything is really, really exciting to me in games.
2: I was trying to think of something that's equal to that level of collaboration. And I honestly don't know because I mean, I don't work in games, although someday maybe that'd be fun. Um,
1: <laughs> but
2: I <can> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, I was—I didn't realize until we start talking to more and more narrative designers, like the amount of people that have to touch what you write. I, I've known a lot of people who also had the similar dream to—I want to I wanna write for games. And it's like we all have that. At least I did when I had that first dream of doing it when I was a kid. I kind of thought it was like writing a book where you just wrote your stuff and then you gave it to them and they are like, voila, here's a game.
1: Nope. It's like, like dozens very of good. people. Your job here is done.
2: Yes. <laughs> Goodbye. See you for the sequel. <laughs> here's your piles of money. <laughs> oh, here's nope.
1: a million dollars. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> nope. But it's just so crazy to me. Like how It's almost like whatever you dreamed up, it's just goes through so many evolutions and isn't at all what you first thought of by the time it's over (laughs) but it's maybe something better even hopefully because it's gone through the filter of like all these other people plus with games the other aspects of like you need to make this story work within the confines of how the we can craft the environment and the pacing of the lighting and the music and all this plot that's outside of this one scene of dialogue (laughs) it's intense
1: my brain loves, like, eating that up. I love the challenge of that. Like, oh, we have these constraints, but we want this really cool thing to happen. And I'm like, how can narrative solve this problem?
2: <laughs> so fun. And now let's take a quick break so you can listen to the sponsors of today's episode. Thanks for listening.
0: If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see, so...
2: And now we are back with our show. I hope you enjoyed the ad break. So, what have are you allowed to talk about? What you're working on, or is it super secret, Squirrel?
1: Oh yeah, any any of like the, the work I've like done, it, I I can talk about.
2: <laughs> yeah, because we I looked at your website and thank you. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> I was interested in um, first of all, I don't know what the Stardust Mystery is, but that sounded interesting. Are these mobile games or are they like platform? On What platform are they on?
1: Yeah. So um, the Stardust Mystery is a PC game. It's available now on Steam. I was only part of that team for the first episode of it. I don't know how many episodes they're up to now, but um, it's a game that was meant to or is meant to, I should say educate kids on like science and like the prehistoric era. Um, It was a really, really neat project and a group of, this is when I was an undergrad, a group of students and I got to um, be interns on that project, which was so cool because opportunities like that, especially where I am in Connecticut, don't come along very often. So that was really neat. I got to be a part of that for about a year and But only for the first episode which has shipped at this point which is very cool um so for that i was mostly doing um like script revisions and a little bit of um documentation work like a lore bible and like character bibles and stuff because this game had been prototyped very like basically at that point and there was like a general story and like general character ideas so i was kind of assigned to go in and essentially find anything in the dialogue that was like oh we have to scratch that because this character is isn't this way anymore or things like that it's kind of like playing I Spy. it's very fun <laughs> um and then the the other big projects that i worked on that's ongoing is um gatekeepers which is a <clears throat> excuse me a vr game about internet harassment which is something i'm sure we are all very aware of and it's Largely inspired by the situation that happened with Gamergate, which I even hate saying the word Gamergate, it just feels so nasty in my mouth. But it's a branching narrative game that follows three different characters, and it shows all their different experiences with this one incident of harassment that occurs uh, to two of the characters. And that project is being done by the University of Connecticut School of Fine Arts, Um, So I had graduated at the point that this project was getting going, but um, I got brought on as a contract uh, narrative designer and writer for that. And I was working with another very talented uh, writer. Her name is Liz Mangan. She's one of my friends. um, And she has a degree in playwriting from the university. So two theater people. It was very cool to work together.
2: (laughs) I was going to ask, because you're the first person who has theater experience and then moved into games how has that helped you? Is it completely different? How does it compare with theater?
1: I think it's been helpful in terms of a, a lot of things, but I feel like I haven't really, I don't want to say leverage. I haven't really made that like a point to tell people that about myself, which I realized I should be because like theater is cool and it's very transferable to like games and telling stories. Um, so I'm actually working on a new version of my website that kind of talks about that a little bit more. But it has been helpful because writing obviously dialogue that will be eventually spoken aloud, and thinking about like scene transitions and different ways of metaphor, things like that. It all ties together in a nice little package.
2: Yeah, one of my ex coworkers. This is a sidebar completely. One of my yeah. ex coworkers was a. Stage manager um, major and then moved into HR. And boy, was he great at managing people. But <laughs> wow, it was, he definitely still had the stage manager thing going
1: on. I was going to say that. I, yeah. I see that transferring.
2: Oh, yeah. He was like <laughs> ringleader of the circus, but he loved every minute of it. <laughs> Very organized person. Oh, I sure. strive to be like that someday.
1: Stage managers are like a whole other level yeah and like people managing
2: yeah honestly i think he i don't think he knew how to relax but i think he also thrived (laughs) in that environment Mm. um but i wanted to go back to the the gatekeeper game too because i that's something that i i hadn't heard of that and i think that it kind of sounds almost like a corporate harassment training in like a fun cool new Mm. way because it's vr because i I was in the Navy and then I, I used to work in HR. I don't anymore, but thankfully, (laughs) but um, it's not really that fun, but um, I've seen a lot of harassment videos and stuff. And that's something that time and time again, keeps getting brought up when I'm talking to friends or when we talk to narrative designers, most of them have been women. And I am curious to hear your perspective having worked on that game on what it's like to be a woman narrative designer specifically and also like how that has affected the tone of the industry. Just, I, f- I feel kind of depressed looking at Twitter. Most, If you just look at Twitter, most mm-hmm. people are saying it kind of sucks to be a woman in the games industry because of that. And I, that can't be the whole story.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I will say... As of right now, I feel very fortunate that I haven't, like in specific regards to the games industry and getting a job in games, I haven't had any harassment experiences, which I'm very fortunate for. But I also do realize, like, I'm a cisgendered white lady. So it's more likely going to be happening to a person of color or somebody who is transgender, not binary. But the most, like, harassment or unfortunate experiences I've had in terms of gaming have just been, like, as a as a gamer, not when I have my, like, I'm pretending to be a professional narrative designer hat on. One of my favorite things about games is community. And I remember uh, when I was a teenager in high school, I wanted so badly to join, like, voice chat when I would play, like, first-person shooters, but I didn't because I was terrified. The few experiences that I did have joining, like, a voice chat in a game was very not not good. That's all I'll say. But um, so that kind of made me afraid and pull back. Um, instead of being like, wow, those people suck. Uh, a few bad experiences made me be like, I'm not gonna try to talk and coordinate with the people on my team in this game. I'm just kind of gonna keep to myself, which luckily I had friends who also liked games that I could game with and have that experience with them. But it does suck to have to have that extra barrier of like, oh, should I Put myself out there in this way, or will that result in something bad happening? What What about you? Have you what have your experiences been?
0: Definitely, I don't know how many times I have put into a chat. Sorry, yeah. no mic, just because I don't want to have to deal with the backlash of being a woman in a video game. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. I used to play a lot of MMOs, where it's like, okay, if you wanted to get in a raiding party and then beat the big bad you had to be coordinated and i would just be like no i'll use text chat i don't have a mic i don't have team speak i don't have you know all that stuff set up just because i didn't absolutely want to.
1: i um i still have a little bit of that so i i play so i i used to play world of warcraft i do not anymore but um i remembered doing like uh dungeons and stuff i would always over level myself so i could do the dungeon alone because even with like the text chat I was so scared people were gonna yell at me for being like bad or like not being coordinated enough. And I don't know, I still feel that a lot now. I play uh, Elder Scrolls Online, very underrated in my opinion. And I'm part of a guild that does like activities sometimes. It's the Alphabet Mafia Guild, it's very cool. And even with these like super friendly people that I'm actually like fine talking to on mic and have a good time with. um, And I know uh, two of them in real life as well. I get so nervous when we do any sort of like combat activities or like events or stuff like that because I, I just know that like I'm not as like knowledgeable or coordinated about all the technicalities of like abilities and like when to do things, and I feel like I've taken that on as like something embarrassing because of my gender. I'm like, oh, because I do feel like people sometimes are like, oh, well, women are good at video games too, and I'm like, yes, but sometimes we're not. And that's also okay. And it's not because we're women. <laughs> so I do feel mm-hmm. that pressure sometimes to kind of like fade into the background. So people don't know that I'm not like, quote unquote, good at like reading or whatever.
2: Yeah. I don't know if it's because I'm an introvert or, or what, but I've always avoided games like that. I, I have played Elder Scrolls online. Um, I used to have a gaming computer and then it died, but I loved ESO, but I was always alone. I didn't even have friends in the game. I just was wandering around doing my own thing because I I'm just like I don't want to deal with that and that I think you hit on it for me when you were talking I was like that is why though because while I have played games my whole life I wouldn't say I'm like exceptionally good I I usually play games on easy if there is a mode just because I am there for the story and yeah. it's for me games are fun like it is a fun pastime and it's something for me to do when I want to relax. And I, I'm i not like very competitive. So I don't feel the need to play on Insanity or whatever so that I can prove to myself that I can get through this level on that mode. mode. Yeah. And so yeah. the same thing with like the raiding parties and that kind of <laughs> game, it doesn't have any attraction to me. Partly because I think, because I'm a woman in this, I've always been in male dominated spaces as a person from the military to games to my job now. And I think it is it's like you either have to just kind of not be noticed or be the best because you're the the standard bearer for women in that space. And I'm like, I don't yeah. want to be that I just want to have fun and play my game. Like, I don't want to prove like there are people can be good at it, or they can be not good at it. And I'm just there to have fun. And I don't want to hear anyone's judgment. So let I just women avoid have it. Fun. Yeah, <laughs> just let us have fun.
1: That's my stance.
2: <laughs> Cindy Lauper said it best: "Girls just want to have fun." <laughs> oh, that, that just aged me. Um. <laughs>
1: that's gonna be that's gonna be my new gaming motto. If yeah. people yell at me for being bad, just girls just want to have fun.
2: Yeah, uh, that's yeah, that's the thing I never you. understood either. It's like when they get that mad about it. Why are you taking it so seriously? It's literally a game. Like it's your if you're not having fun, you're doing it wrong.
1: I remember someone just like rattling off what i used to play overwatch as well rattling off like slurs and chat because we like weren't coordinated enough and i'm like yes none of us know each other this is our first time playing together like what also yeah just sometimes i see like gamer behavior that is so toxic it almost mm-hmm. feels like a parody
2: yeah um, it's like you it's expect us to be these like well-oiled machine with the camaraderie of a group that's been fighting together for 20 years. It's like, guys, we just met each other right now.
1: And we, then using that... We're not. Exactly. That terrible language, too, to express yeah. how you feel. It's like, oh my gosh, like, stop. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it makes me sad for humanity. I, I want to hope... I'm not sure how it is because I'm not in the games industry. And everyone we've interacted with has been lovely. So... and And it seems like you either have a wonderful team but there's also all these news articles about the toxicity of people who work in the games industry and I'm so, like are these players reflecting who some of these people are making these games too it's very frustrating to me that like there's that many people who are that upset all the time it is depressing sometimes
1: yeah yeah the all the, all the news coming out about uh, people being mistreated i mean obviously People have known this for a very long time. People are mistreated in the games industry every day, and it's unfortunately way too common. But it, it does make you question like who who you can trust. And like, oh, I I've met this person before, and they're lovely. But like, what if we were working together? Like, and it doesn't feel good to have your brain go to that place. But unfortunately, it's a it's a reality. I I like to I like to assume the best in people, but. Um, I've been trying to, and I try to view that as a strength in myself as opposed to a weakness. But there are times when I'm like, maybe, I don't know, <laughs> maybe I should uh, be a little more careful. Yeah.
2: Do you do the thing that I do this all the time, when, especially when I'm just starting a job, I expect, I'm like, if I'm super friendly and open, they'll be super friendly and open. And then all I end up doing is like exposing my vulnerabilities for evil people to <laughs> exploit. And I'm just like, then they just like, I don't know. It's it's not fun (laughs) if they're if they're not fun. It's either one or the other though. I'm like I either have great work friends or I have an enemy. (laughs) Like oh no, what did I do? No middle ground. Yeah, no. Apparently no middle ground. I I don't want any enemies. I just I feel like that open and niceness. People who are looking to exploit things or or are manipulative or are just there because they've stepped on other people. They view that as a threat because they're like oh you're genuine and I'm not. Now I hate you. And that seems to be the case. Well, actually, everything I've seen online about the games industry is like everyone's just being overworked and crunch time and yelling at people and harassment. And I, from my HR background, I'm just like, how is this allowed? Like, how has this not been stopped already? There are no special laws. Yeah, (laughs) there's no special laws that like exclude the games industry from following the civil rights act <laughs> i don't I mean, understand for
1: yeah um i mean i and this is this probably sounds very naive but i look at a lot of like systems in place and think like i, I was talking to my boyfriend about this the other day not to get too like but every day i wake up and i'm like how is jeff bezos allowed to do what he is doing. And obviously it's such a silly question because there are so many reasons he is allowed to do what he's doing and he has all this power and money and mistreating people, but it is something you look at and it makes you go like, what? (laughs) But unfortunately stuff like that slips through the cracks when there's certain things involved, like money, emotional leverage, depending on the identities of like who is in charge. It's just like a big scary cocktail of things
2: yeah it's like this dystopian novels writing itself Yeah, <laughs> like, my gosh it's, i guess it's just money the toxic capitalism or whatever it is i and that's what gets me too is i've heard a lot of things about different studios like oh this studio is known to be a good one or this one's known to do a lot of crunch time and not treat its staff well or its developers well and i'm like then you get these amazing games and I'm like, what does that say about the people working there under these conditions? And they're still able to like make this amazing product slash story because I, I can't look at games as just a product, you know, it's, they're so impactful in our lives. Clearly we have
1: a podcast about just the romance yeah. part of it, you know? I'm sure that's because I've, I've never worked for like a AAA or even like an indie studio. I've just uh, done some like smaller independent projects, but I I think with any creative field that is kind of the rub, it's that even if people are being overworked, they're so passionate about this thing that they're all trying to make together. Like a lot of creative people will kind of just like push through the pain to make sure that their art ends up being made and seen by other people. So the fact that we get all these amazing games coming out of crunch situations, I feel like it's a combination of, of course, like the terrible crunch but also like these people that care so much about this thing and it really sucks that they're being told to crunch, but they're like, but I want this thing to be made. And then of course they probably end up gaslighting themselves into, into crunching.
2: Yeah. It's not exactly the same, but I've worked in a couple animal shelters as well. And it's the same thing. Cause you're like nonprofits notoriously underpaid undervalued work. And especially when it comes to something like, I guess most nonprofits will deal with a, a subject matter that's pulls at the heartstrings in some way, you know, for me, it was like, I have to keep going for the kittens, you know, <laughs> like yeah. it's really easy to find motivation when, when that's something that you're passionate about. Those ads and I, with
1: like Sarah McLachlan. Yep.
2: <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like, I, these little tiny potatoes, I have to keep going. But uh, yeah, like that's, I guess, I guess they must just be exploiting our emotions, which is I don't even know how we ended up on this. This is the best tangent so far. <laughs> We're really good at tangenting.
1: I love talking about human emotions. So,
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's ultimately what it is. Like, well I know we focus on romance, but we we like to talk about friendships too, just any kind of human relationship, cuz that's where we shine. Like, there's no other species on earth that's more collaborative than us. And I guess you have to take all the dark with all the light that comes with that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, unfortunately, there there is a lot of dark that comes from interacting with other people. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot Every, of light too.
2: Exactly. Every time I'm like, all right, I'm done with humans. I want to go move to the middle of the forest and be with my animals. And then I see something that's like amazing, or I talk to somebody that's super cool. I'm like, wait, actually, people aren't all bad. They're not all good either.
1: Yeah, but. you just gotta you gotta find your your crowd. Which honestly, like Twitter. <laughs> This sounds so silly, but like Twitter has like been a really great thing for me because I I kind of had this perception of like going into trying to get into the games industry as like a newly graduated person, that the games industry was all just like one way. And obviously I knew of like some really cool like indie studios and like things like that, but there's such a vibrant and cool community of like devs and all these other people on Twitter And I've kind of just like curated that into like what my feed is. And it's so, it's so nice. I'm like, oh my gosh, I would love to like sit down and have a conversation with like any of these people because I feel like they kind of get like why I love games and I get why they love games. So it's hard, but like finding the crowd that makes you feel good about the direction you're going and the world that you're in is, is the key to, to getting through the hard stuff.
2: It's really beautiful. And true. I think- that's something I just, I just saw this like cute little comic on Instagram the other day where it was, um, I can't remember what the, it was like two animals and one of them was a panda and one of them was like a bird or something. And I was like, what's the point? Is it the journey or the destination? And they're like, no, it's the companions. And I think that's Aww. so <laughs> true. It's like, it's not where you're going or how you're getting there. It's like who you're going
1: with. I love that that yeah. sound it's like your podcast that's what mm-hmm.
2: it's about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel like that's why all these games are so big because you remember the characters the most or like that I well for me as a past military person and we talked about this with our other friend Pipeman who's a Marine Corvette like why Mass Effect stands out for us is like, you have that squad feeling again, where you have that ragtag bunch coming together to do the same thing. And you're all different, but you're all the same too. And such a nice emotion to capture. I just love that so much.
1: (laughs) Obviously, I'm not military or ex-military, but I didn't even think of that. So that's really cool to hear you talk about part of why that struck a chord with you.
2: Yeah. Well, because I mean, the military gets a lot of bad rap, and I, I like to compare it from what I see as an outsider looking in on the games industry. It seems similar because there's a lot of harassment in the military as well. When I was in the Navy, it was about 16% of the military of the Navy was female. Um, so, and my rate, because I was a Korean linguist, was more skewed. It was more even because I'm not sure why, but that there was kind of an equal split between men and women, but still overall, way more men. And um, I did experience harassment when I was in the military on a number of occasions. But I also met some of the coolest people ever and did really cool stuff. And that sort of I never was in like a combat zone or anything, but I did do some intense stuff while I was in. And that sort of feeling of like these people who literally come from all over the country or have been all over the world. And in my case, I did work with some foreign nationals as well. And it was so cool because we were all so different, but we all worked together so well. And that literally was exactly how the Mass Effect, especially Mass Effect 2, where you're going and collecting Mm -hmm. your companions and stuff. Like they captured that like dynamic so well. And for me, that was a big... I think that's a selling point for everyone because everyone kind of wants to have that feeling of like, we got a squad. We got this (laughs) big group of friends, you know, my girl squad or whatever. They, they all, we all just want that just home group. That's like what we're supposed to have as humans. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. A found family. That's my favorite kind is a found family. Sometimes the family you're born with isn't the best, but you have people who are just as good as your family. And it's, it's super cool. I hope we have more games that explore that kind of dynamic more, or at least can build characters that relatable and realistic so that we can kind of semi-experience that, especially in pandemic times.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. That's, that's another exciting thing about games is when something like that gets it so right. My brain is always like, oh my gosh, like, are they ever going to do this? Like, are they going to replicate this feeling again? And if they are, I can't wait to experience that. Like just thinking about all the future games we haven't even played yet. That's just so exciting
2: to me. But yeah. Uh, Jen, did you have anything? I think we're almost at our time because we can talk forever.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes, we can. (laughs) Uh, I think the big thing that I wanted to ask you about is about the jam that you've got going on right now. Oh, yes. Thank you for Um, reminding
1: me because I forgot.
0: (laughs) I think it's it's so super interesting because when I have an 11-year-old daughter... So we're we're moving right into that phase more rapidly than I want to, (laughs) because I want her to stay a baby forever. But she's also a gamer. And so, you know, she loves Animal Crossing (gasps) and just plays a whole bunch of different little games and stuff like that. She's a big uh, mobile gamer also. Like, she plays games on her phone all day long. And so, well, do you want to talk about Yeah, sure. Yeah, so um,
1: I am hosting a jam on itch.io called Go With The Flow Jam, and it's a jam all about making games about periods. And it was largely inspired by the fact that there have been a lot of really unfortunate reactions to the film Turning Red and the fact that certain parts of the movie do like directly address the fact that periods are a thing and they exist, especially as someone who's interested in like sex education. I'm sure you can tell how that made me feel. (laughs) So yeah, I just wanted to make a game jam about something that you don't typically see as a way of kind of reframing people's thinking about menstruation. Because the thing that I'm really passionate about is the fact that everyone's experience with like menstruation is going to be different. Some like cis women have periods, some trans people have periods. So I'm really hoping that we get like a wide array of experiences of people making games for this. But also, um, I wanted to make it clear that people don't have to make a game that portrays periods positively, necessarily. Um, I know when I first got my period, uh, I was very scared. (laughs) I was nine, and I kept it a secret for a year because I was so embarrassed, and I would rather scrunch up toilet paper and put it in my underwear than tell my mom. You just pointed at yourself, was that you... Yeah, I did
2: that too, except I apparently left some evidence behind in my terror at starting my period the first day of eighth grade. that was
1: great. Uh, I also and my mom got found out
2: yeah, I got found out but my mom no, no offense to my mom because you know we've learned a lot since the <laughs> 90s and the early 2000s. but uh, she kind of punished because I'm a twin. I have a twin sister and oh. she she sent both of us to our room until one of us came to her to, to confess and it was like this huge shame thing. Yeah, it's it's like burned into my memory, and I had to like my sister obviously was adamant it wasn't her because it literally wasn't, and I was saying no, it wasn't me either because I was so ashamed, and um, I've after I don't know how long sitting in my room, I finally went and told my mom, and uh, she just like, I don't even remember what she said to me. I just remember the fact that we got sent to our rooms was just a big deal and was horrible and just felt gross and obviously hurt.
1: we, yeah, it sure really made an impression on you.
2: Yeah, like we had to get put on birth control because our periods were so bad, you know, the cramps, and I, I know I'm not alone in that situation either. And it just was uh not not cool. So I'm I'm happy that you're doing that because if even just one kid learns about menstruation, so that when that happens, if if they're going to menstruate and they do, and they're not ashamed about it or they have no idea what's happening because like I I think before that I had like a general sense that Mm -hmm. menstruation was a thing but not what to expect or how it would feel so it completely took me by surprise too and um I have a daughter and I'm not gonna be doing that to her so (laughs) that's good (laughs) yeah Um, so I hope your game or anyone's game who participates in the jam will help at least just one young person (laughs) to not go through that
1: Yeah. And that's, and that's what I'm hoping too. And, um, I'm hoping that again, that we get a wide variety of experiences. I know some people are hoping to make games about like menopause, some older people. So I'm really excited about that, but that kind of is my philosophy with anything I want to do in games. Like I, I want to like alleviate some sort of pain or shame. So even if it's like, there's somebody else out there who's like, Oh, I want to make games like, but maybe with like a like a sexual topic that i can't that's weird like i would love to be someone who's like you actually can and people will be receptive to it
0: sex is sex not is weird. not weird and it's
1: cool sex is weird sometimes but that's <laughs> fine it could be um, exactly <laughs> how you
2: want it though it depends yeah, on who you
1: are exactly but yeah the, the jam is just like a kind of simple way of trying to like break down the stigma and I'm trying to look into doing some sort of bundle with games from the jam to raise money for uh, period poverty organizations, but more to, more to come on that. Thank you for asking. That actually slipped my mind.
2: <laughs> it slipped mine too. Thanks, Jen. I, I remembered before the start, I was like, ask her about the jam, <laughs> but I'm glad. Cause my job now, I make training for the Navy, but um, you know, it's a lot of educational material and I, that's we we actually use unity game engine to make some of them oh wow yeah and that's what i was thinking about when you were talking about this jam is like so that's something a lot of people i don't think have realized yet at least in my generation and maybe older is like games have been and are going to continue to be in very very important educational devices like not even just strictly educational games because i mean they had those when i was a kid i played like this math one i remember on the pc when i was like six yeah and but but now with like vr and stuff with the game that you worked on um gatekeepers and this uh go with the flow jam like that's that's our actual future like all of our learning it's so much easier to um and they have studies to show this it's so much easier to retain knowledge when you've participated in the learning process rather than just death by powerpoint or something like that so that is a huge part about games too which is why i love talking about romance on this podcast because (laughs) that's it's literally it all ties in like we no one in the future will have to go through as as difficult of a struggle as people in our generation and older had to go through to learn about their bodies and sexuality and stuff because they'll have hopefully they'll have really really good models on what that's supposed to look like and what they can expect from games
1: absolutely and not to overshare but um i i didn't know i was bisexual until maybe like a year ago and i think part of that is because of like education and the way we talk about sexual orientation and like what attraction is and like bisexuality is like a 50 50 split like men and women when it actually pertains to, like, more than one gender, and it's not necessarily, like, 50-50 attraction because humans aren't neat like that. And it was this amazing revelation of, like, wow, I thought I knew myself so well, but somehow with, like, messages I've internalized or the way we talk about things, I, like, just never, never clocked it. So I, I do hope for a world where stuff gets easier for not just young people, but anyone who... Is learning about themselves because everyone deserves to know about themselves and their body and what, what it's doing so
0: i think the <laughs> <laughs> i was like this is actually the the area of my expertise <laughs> yeah sure we'll go with that um i think the bisexuality being a 50 50 split came from the kinsey yes. scale where because it's like you're exclusively hetero, exclusively homo, or right in between. And so everybody assumes that the right in between means that you have to be in between the two exclusives. So it's a 50-50 split. But in reality, bisexuality should be its own entire scale of, you know, 10-90 or 90-10 and every other digit in between.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Just thinking about things less less binary, less in boxes.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. On a scale, on a (laughs) scale, With the flow. flow. (laughs) Exactly.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. It was like contrary to popular belief, old dogs can learn new tricks. Like we are always growing and learning just because you're done being a teenager doesn't mean you won't discover something about yourself that you didn't know. That's what a midlife crisis is, you know, like we are constantly changing who we think we are. And, or what we know about ourselves, and that's perfectly fine. It shouldn't be a, a few, crisis.
1: Uh, quarter life crises. Yeah, yeah. I have to. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it is very exciting to think about the fact that, like, while it's unfortunate that maybe we've internalized some things that keep us from from knowing ourselves until much later, it is kind of exciting that you can learn something new about yourself no matter how old you are, and that's very cool. And it's all
2: all part of the journey. Totally true. And if you're listening, video game company executives,
0: hire Carrie. <laughs>
1: oh,
2: <laughs> we, thank you. <laughs> she's great, obviously, as you've just heard.
0: If you like what you're hearing, please be sure to leave a review on iTunes or give us a rating on Spotify and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find me in our Two Girls One Ship chat on the Robots Radio Discord channel and come give us a follow on all the social medias and on Patreon at Two Girls One Ship. Links to those are in the description.
2: I'm on the Robots Radio Discord as well, and also be sure to check out our live stream on Twitch and YouTube on Fridays at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 7.30 p.m. Pacific Time. Our podcast episodes release on Mondays because you need at least one good thing on a Monday. Check out the description for all links if you're interested. Thanks for listening, and remember... Beauty is in the eye of the controller.
0: Hi, I'm Aaron. And I'm Ariel. And we're the host of the Legend of Zelda Lorecast, a podcast about all things Legend of Zelda. From Errol to Zora
1: and all the fun things in between.
0: If you're ready to dive deep and learn more about The Legend of Zelda lore and everything surrounding it, come join us on The Legend of Zelda Lorecast. You can find us on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Google, or wherever else you get your podcasts.
1: We hope to see you soon.